This is Weekend Edition from NPR News. I'm Scott Simon. This isn't NPR. It's the Look Again podcast. I'll be right back. More than 1,000 people are now confirmed to have died in the collapse of the Rana Plaza garment factory in Bangladesh more than two weeks ago. It is the worst industrial accident in nearly three decades. But this week, rescuers managed to dig out a woman who survived beneath the debris for 17 days. They heard her call out, Save me. Most of those killed in the collapse were garment workers who earned little more than a dollar a day, toiling to make clothes sold by some of the world's most famous companies. Now, you're probably thinking, what does this accident in a garment factory in Bangladesh in 2014 have to do with me? And that's a fair question. But by the end of this episode, I think hopefully you'll realize it might have more to do with you than you think. Today, I get to interview my cousins, uh, Mitch and Sonia Kraft, who did not live in Bangladesh, but they moved to Nepal. They're going to share with us what they did there, their heart for the people, their heart for um, spreading the gospel and helping people in a physical way too. So uh, this is a really, really good, interesting conversation. And as I already said, I, I think by the end of this, we'll realize that there's a little bit more to the story than we thought. Here's Mitch and Sonia. I have the pleasure of having uh, my cousin, Mitch Kraft, and his wife, Sonia. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. Happy Thanks to be here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yep. And uh, I got my wife, Hannah, here with us. She's going to at least say hi. Hi. <laughs> That's, that might be all we get out of her today, but she's, she's here and she's part of our day. I'll let you explain just my first question here. Uh, what exactly was your purpose uh, in Nepal? There you go. Yeah, um, we went to Nepal for two and a half years. We wanted to, one, help a business um, that was a fair trade um, garment manufacturer who hires people um, who would be at disadvantages to find jobs in Nepal, uh, whether because they're low caste or low educated or have um, a different religious belief, uh, might have a hard time finding a job. So. Uh, we wanted to go and help provide more jobs for those uh, those groups of people. And then we also were over there to help share Jesus. We wanted to specifically go over there and help disciple the new church that's forming up in Nepal. Uh, when you say new church, what do you, is Christianity pretty new in Nepal? Yeah. Um, Nepal had, was closed until late in the 50s, um, and then it became open, and that's when Christianity started to come in a little bit. Um, most of the church is actually less than 10 years old. Um, they were tripled about in size in the last decade. Um, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world due to evangelism. 
Um, so we wanted to go over there and help the young believers uh, learn how to study their Bibles, learn how to apply the Bible to their everyday life, and how to have a better walk with Jesus. What other uh, religions are there? Uh, it's mainly Hinduism, about 80%, uh, then about 10% Buddhist. So then there's a mix of a bunch of other ones that are really small percentages. But So if you, if you met a random person in Nepal and they... And you were able to, in your in the conversation or for whatever reason, found out that they were Christian. Someone you didn't meet through your business or through your church or whatever. Did that ever happen, or was that is or is Christianity so rare that? Yeah, where we lived, there was actually quite a few churches, um, and so we met like the storekeepers where we would go and buy things. They were Christians and we didn't know that when we started going there. Hmm. Um, and so the part of town where we were in, there were quite a few Christians, but in like different parts of town, it would probably be pretty rare. Is the Christian church persecuted in any way? They're doing okay right now. Um, it's illegal to change religions. Hmm. So if you're born Christian, if your parents are Christian, you're born, a, you're a Christian, you're born into that family, it's okay. You, you're just born Christian, which we all know is not true, but that's how they see it. So if you were born into a Hindu family, you're Hindu, and there's penalties for switching, but there's, um, in that regard, we didn't see too much persecution, in especially the capital, um, but you might see a little bit more outside the capital, um, and things were starting to change a little bit as we left. So it, would it be illegal for someone to convert from Christianity to Hinduism? I would assume so, but we don't see that happen very right. often. <laughs> yes. That's kind of funny. What uh, new realities did this experience reveal to you, or how did this um, experience change the way you see the world, I guess? Um, yeah, there were several things that we learned um, from uh, the Nepali culture that um, was really encouraging to us. One, um, on the spiritual realm, um, the Old Testament made more sense after living in Nepal for uh, two and a half years. We were woken up several times by goats in our backyard or uh, the bells farm ringing. or bells ringing and seeing idols all over the place um, made really made what the Israelites um, had to deal with in the Old Testament come more alive and understandable. Um, so that was, it was really fun to read the old Testament in Nepal. Yeah. Um, I think outside of that, we also saw, um, the Nepali culture, um, is very hospitable. Um, they have a saying guest is God in Nepal. So they treat you as royalty as a guest. Um, mm, that's cool. and we, I think it has improved our hospitality and we want to keep that up. And that was something we, um, told our, our friends cons- consistently and often it's like you guys are improving our hospitality Hmm. which we've really appreciated and yeah i think um working with a clothing manufacturer really opened our eyes to what happens in the manufacturing process and how a lot of manufacturers don't treat their employees well and how the business we were with is doing the opposite of what most do by taking care of their employees paying living wages things like that um things that we just don't really hear about in america we just go and buy the clothes, but we were seeing the people who were making them. And yeah, that really changed the way that we use our money now. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we saw, um, taking care of your, our employees, um, 
we knew of a manufacturer who had 100% turnover every six months. Meant every six months, everybody left. Wow. Um, at the business we were at, we had we were doing about 10%, um, and that was mainly with some, of, and that was just d- natural moving and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so that was really interesting to see a manufacturer be able to take care of their workers enough to have that drastic of a difference in the same city. That's really cool. And that's kind of, um, when I first learned about uh, the company you guys were working with, it just really changed my perspective of even just going into the store thinking, where are my clothes coming from? Mm-hmm. We don't really think about that, like you're saying, Sonia, because yeah. we, don't, we don't see it. Talk a little bit about the specific person that the company you were working with, uh, or maybe what the typical person they were looking to hire, they were looking to employ. We had a special interviewing process. We would interview um, half on story, half on skill. So we'd, we'd test your skills and see what you could do. But if you need the job enough, we were willing to spend at least three months training you too, so that you could sew. Our, our workers come from a variety of backgrounds. Um, again, not all of our workers fall into this category, these categories, but several do. Um, about 70% of our workers ended up in a marginalized background. Um, which would be um, low caste, low educated, um, at risk for exploitation. Uh, extreme poverty puts you at risk to do uh, and make risky choices. Um, so that would also be the case. Single moms um, in those kinds of situations put you at risk, especially in, in Nepal where you need a man to be your legal representative. So if you're a single mom, um, that can really cause problems um, legally. So we would interview, and if you had a um, had a story that was said you need the job enough, we would give you enough points to get the job. Um, I was able to be in process of that one time, which was really interesting. Sonny, you do you have any uh, any women in mind who would be good to share just a little story about, or or what their life was like? Yeah, um, I did have more interactions with them because it's was mainly women working there. There was some men too. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of who would be a good one to share. Um, maybe one of our friends, uh, before she worked at the business, uh, she was working for a construction company and she would have to carry bricks, um, in a basket that was tied on her head and it would be like double her weight. Is that right? What she would carry? Cause she's very small. The women in this Nepal are very small and so she would just have to do this manual labor and not be getting paid very well at all and so once she got the job at this business she said she was just so much more respected in her neighborhood like she, because she worked at an office and things like that and didn't have to do all this hard work where she was barely making any money and so it really just changed her confidence level too and everything so yeah um does this business you worked for have a any idea on the number of uh, women who are coming out of the sex trafficking uh, industry? or In in Nepal, um, you do see a problem there. Um, I, if I remember right, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's 15,000 Nepalis are trafficked across the border hmm. uh, yearly. Um, so it's really important to have good jobs that allow people to may have other choices um 
in Nepal. Nepal is a 40% unemployment rate. Um, so that also shows you there's a need. And there's other problems too. Uh, human trafficking is not just sex trafficking. 15% of Nepalis leave the country to find work hmm. abroad. Um, a third of them will end up in exploitive situations. Uh, job, different jobs than they expected. Wages withheld. Um, movement withheld. Those kinds of issues as well. Hmm. So that's, I mean, that you're looking at a large percentage of Nepalis in, at risk for exploitation hmm. because of unemployment. Yeah, that's interesting to think of how many ways humans can be, have their skills or abilities taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you able to see then in real time these women or men uh, being empowered and being essentially lifted out of poverty? Um, in like a repeatable way. Uh, yeah. Uh, the business that we worked at does a social impact survey. We wanted to make sure that um, we were we could try to figure a way to measure if we were being successful. Our main reason for being a company, um, or one of the main reasons for being a company, was to bring social um, healing. So we wanted to see if we could do that. So what we saw is we take it every year. Um, about In about two years of working with our business, we start to see a victim mentality change to an empowerment mentality. Um, a story I think that illustrates this really well was um, we found this out because we ended up hiring this lady. And in her interview, she said the best day of her life was when, a, uh, when one of our employees moved next door. And the reason for this was for several months, without anybody knowing it, our, the, the employee of our company um, was secretly helping take care of her kids, uh, feeding them, making sure they had enough nutrition for several months before anyone found out. Um, and that was just that shows you a little bit of the um, change in mindset that we were seeing. Mm. Um, during the earthquake, we had several of the employees um, who learned first aid with us, um, help their fellow neighbors. We've seen several of our employees um, increase in status in their society. Um, just You can just look at our garage now. Uh, there's a lot of scooters. so And a lot of people are buying bed. Everybody has a bed now. Not everybody had one when they started with us. Um, people are getting bicycles. People are getting motorcycles. Um, helping them get more mobility and more ability to... Uh, increase their status and get out of poverty. That's really cool. And I, I guess how I've heard that described before is giving a hand up instead of the handout. Right? For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the cool thing about employment, um, nonprofits are needed, um, but they need, in our opinion, they need to have an exit strategy. Mm. Um, if you're still there 20 years from now, um, did you accomplish what you meant? Um, the thing about employment is the, Workers feel like they earned their wage because they did. Hmm. And then so they get to have a sense of accomplishment rather than a sense of um, victim mentality. Hmm. So, so um, your role in the company was, Mitch, you were working more with business and Sonia advertising, right? Some Yeah, communications. Um, I worked, I did a lot of the photos, um, social media, just letting the customers of the business see the transparency, like... These are the people who work here and look at how happy they are. You know, like mm. they love working here. And so 
I really liked that because I got to interact with the people even more with that. Yeah. And I, I did a lot of um, customer relations. So I take customers' ideas, run them through our systems, and communicate between our, the company and the customer. And then at the end, I was doing more sales. So um, I want to talk just a little bit about how um, the organization you're working with not only lifts these people out of poverty, but also pre is able to present the gospel to them. And maybe could do that. Maybe the trickiest thing that I'm in my mind of doing that would be trying to present it with no strings attached. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I could see it easy to, for, for somebody who just is so eager to make converts to Christianity to go, um, you can work here if you become a Christian, you know? So, um, in, in what ways were you guys able to uh, make disciples and, and, and share the love of Christ with these people, um, I guess, without um, trying to force it in an in a, in a unethical way? Yeah. Um, Nepalis are fairly open to talking about uh, religion, spiritual, spiritual things. things. Mm. Um, Hinduism has 330 million gods, so <laughs> to talk about wow. a, a one more is not that big of a deal. Okay. Um, the trick, the hard part with that becomes um, having Jesus be the only God. Yeah. It's easy to add him in, but when you start to say he's the only one, that's where some of the stumbling blocks come. Um, for our business, what we did was we had a lot of voluntary options to hear about him. Uh, he, so we would have optional Bible studies twice a month that you could come to. If you didn't want to, you just come to work an hour late, no questions asked. Um, we had... And no dock and pay. No dock and pay. Um, yeah, it was just, it was scheduled as not a work hour. Okay. So you could come and you just come an hour later. Um, we saw during our Christmas and Easter party, um, we would just share the reason for the holiday, uh, which is the gospel. Um, and then we'd have fun games and dancing and get to know each other. Um, but I think the one of the biggest ways we ended up sharing the gospel um, overseas was living it out in the day-to-day. -day. Um, you couldn't fake your walk with Jesus 45 hours a week with these people, hmm. uh, which is about how much time we spent with them. Yeah. Um, so... And what they would see, they would then ask a lot of questions. Um, hmm. So that was a lot of what we would share with was when asked questions. Um, Discipleship-wise, we we ended up finding some just some younger Christians than us, um, and really investing in them, seeing if we can talk to them outside of work. Um, and a few of them we ended up working with. So um, just modeling it in the day to day. So what would you say in this time in Nepal, what was, was there a, in an event or a struggle or anything that um, most challenged your personal faith or encouraged your personal walk with Christ? So I was, I was working with a, um, one of our larger customers, and it was really encouraging um, because I got to work with a lot of amazing people and I got to see them accomplish something that they didn't think they could do in a short period of time. I also love coaching, so that was fun. Yeah. Um, but the, 
market and some other things just really we that caused our customer to struggle and we ended up having to shut the uh business shut that customer down which um resulted in layoffs um and that was really hard for me um i worked really really hard to stop it the customer worked really really hard to stop it and it just seemed like you're doing this great work um that's helping people out of poverty and it was really hard to see it not come to fruition um so that was really difficult for me and i think it I, i was wrestling with god on that a little bit and the cool part about it was over the next three months um the business had some really good growth in the other parts with other customers. So we were able to give all the workers that we had to let go um, about six more weeks worth of work um, just because God was blessing other parts of our business. Um, and that was able to keep most of, we kept everybody afloat long enough that another freedom business, um, fair trade business, was hiring 50 new employees and we were able to put our workers into their pool um, and actually give them a step up because they are healthy, they've accomplished, they're confident, um, and they were able to do that work. So it was cool to see God love the people more than me. Even I could love them um, and take care of them. So yeah, that was really cool. have a bigger plan maybe than you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that was really cool for me to see. I think one of the ways that God challenged me while they while we were there, um, I'm an introvert and I don't like being the center of attention, being leading things and all of that. And I just really felt like God was putting it on my heart to start a women's Bible study. And that's not something that I've done by myself before. And so I was like, okay, really God, like this is what you want me to do. And, um, but, and so I did it and it ended up being really encouraging, um, it didn't always go the way I planned, so God helped me in that, too, like with expectations and things. Um, but just at the end of it, hearing what the ladies had learned and how they had grown um, was just really encouraging. And I know it was God because that's not something that I would just willingly choose to do myself. Um, and so God really helped me step out of my comfort zone and grow in that aspect as well. I'm curious, Mitch, if you think this, like, the model that your business used, do you think it could possibly be applied to, say, impoverished areas in America in order to help uh, empower and lift people up? Um, I don't know if that's anything you guys have talked or thought about. I think business done well could do that. Hmm. Um, I see business as a a tool um, that God could use to help lift impoverished people. I do think, um, and what we've found is it does require more, more work and more, maybe more support than a regular business would need. Um, because there's just some things that, um, a regular business doesn't have to deal with, right? If you hire healthy, well-educated people, um, you don't have to deal with some of the, some issues. But it's also very motivating to be working with a business that allows you to have a larger impact on people. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's possible. Um, the biggest the biggest trick, I think, is it's going to take people realizing that if they want to help at least get the businesses started, they're going to have to be willing to pay a little bit extra to get them started. 
which is kind of goes to what we were talking about before we were recording about how much of our world is runs around money. And this is something that kind of, I don't know if ironically is the right word, but I, so Hannah and I at one point watched this documentary called Food Inc., which is pretty mm-hmm. famous. And the, my biggest takeaway from that documentary had nothing to do about food. This guy was making his big pitch for why you should eat organic. And really, he said, if we want more organic products, we don't need to like worry about going through government to um, make all these policies. We can vote even more effectively with our pocketbook, with our wallet. Yeah. And that kind of blew my mind, and especially with... I think I thought of you guys almost right away. Like, if you're a person who doesn't even have that much money to give monthly to a ministry or something, you still probably at some point are going to need to buy a shirt in your life. And I think the question is, where where are you going to look to buy? And like I said before this, before you guys went on this experience, I wouldn't have never even really thought of that option. Mm-hmm. So um, now that you're back in the United States, how how will you apply that principle in, in your lives as you continue to buy everything? Cause you know, there's some things maybe that are hard to find in fair trade or from a company mm-hmm. that you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'll definitely do our best um, to buy like our clothing, especially as ethically as we can um, and do our research about the companies we're buying from. Uh, we have found several bi- other businesses that we know are ethically made clothing from working with this company. Mm. Um, and so that helps us with a good starting point. But if you just research, most companies have their policies online and you can find out lots of information. Um, and the ones who are ethical usually say that and they are proud about that right. or <clears throat> they have the fair trade label. And then you know that everyone's being treated fairly in the whole production line. Um, so that's something we really want to keep buying and doing that. Um, but it's not always the cheapest option, um, and right. we know that. And so another way to help like with just the environmental side of it is buying secondhand. And so yeah. we'll, we do that as well. If we don't have enough to afford a new, brand-new ethical shirt, we might go buy one secondhand from a store, um, just giving clothes more life, mm. not going into the landfill. And so Yeah, yeah. And it allows, you know, you might be able to buy two or three ethical shirts a year and then buy three or four uh, secondhand, but then that allows you to buy the ethical ones later as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Are there any other products? Have, have you seen, you know, because now when I, I go to buy glasses, I think, well, where are mm-hmm. these made? Or, or a computer, you know. Yeah. How, how much of your, uh, the things you buy have you been able to find yet? Um, well, we mostly have applied this to our baby shopping, mm-hmm. uh, with having a, a baby soon. Um, so we've been able to find diapers. Uh, we know a couple toys manufacturers. Oh, cool. Um, there's a few furniture. You can usually find a, um, mm-hmm. a certification for like a sustainable harvesting or hmm. those fair kinds trade. of fair trade. Yeah. Um, you can do that. So we found we found mostly there. Um, I think that's. Pretty, I mean, we obviously know farmers, so we can buy our food yeah. and stuff <laughs> like that as well. Um, but I think that's where we've mostly found it so far. Yeah. 
That's really cool, and I think the the organic label itself maybe sometimes gets a bad rap, but when you think of um, actually buying things fair trade, mm-hmm. you're not you're not just buying a product. You're now you guys have a face for that. You're supporting a, a family essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that to me that's really cool to think of. I have a need. I need a shirt, or I have a want. I, I want a new wallet, <laughs> and. Um, when I buy that, I could not only get what I want, I could also support a family. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the coolest things. I, I hope that in you know, five, ten years down the road, companies that aren't fair trade are the minority. They're the ones that are yeah. getting looked down on. Because mm-hmm. if we as the consumers are, are – we could force their hand in that sense. That Exactly. Uh, exactly. So I'm sure you guys are <laughs> passionate about that too, but I, I love thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's been interesting. One of the things we we know about Americans, um, especially over the last two years, is they're very passionate um, about what they believe in and what they want to see happen, which is really encouraging. But I think sometimes we just don't know where to what to do with it, and we get bogged down with our leaders not making the right the changes we want to see. But ultimately, <clears throat> if we put our money where where our passion is, we'll see the change we need. Um, and we can't, in businesses, and these ideas won't gain steam because they can't be fundraised all the time. They've got to have um, people who believe in the product and believe in what, in what they say they believe in and spend money on it. Do you, do you see it as an um, obligation or a um, duty for a Christian to, to think about these things, to think about how, where their, where their things are coming from? I think so. I think it's being a good steward of the resources you have and using them well by buying things that are treating other people well, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. And so if we buy products that are made by people and they're treated fairly, that's a way of loving our neighbor. And so, yeah, I do think it's mm. something that we should all think about when we're making these purchases. And Yeah. yeah. Not to uh, not to make people feel guilty. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't, we can't focus on what we have been doing or, or if some things are just too expensive. But mm-hmm. I think certainly um, one of the verses that, last time I read through Matthew, one of the verses that is just ne- not left my mind yet is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and, He's saying, you guys have forgotten the weightiest part of the whole law is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I think about, I think about justice and, mm-hmm. you know, on a global scale, we could, we could take a, a serious dent in, in some of these unjust practices just by the daily decisions we make. Yeah. For sure. America is one of the biggest markets in the world. Hmm. So if America will spend their dollars on ethical um sustainable um just products it's going to have an impact on the world Mm. so and what a better reason than god told me to love people Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and i think um if people really want to see what the fashion industry is like you had mentioned the documentary food inc um Mm. there's also a documentary called the true cost and Mm. it goes into the manufacturing and fashion industry and what really goes on. And so 
watching that opened our eyes even more, um, just seeing it all over the world. And so that would give people a way to see it, you know, talking is one thing, but when you see it, it makes a big difference, I think. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. Um, that's really all I have, unless you guys have something to add. But uh, I would just add that these guys are, um, they're working for Campus Ventures now here at Black Hill State. It's a, um, uh, it's a college ministry. Uh, focuses very heavily on discipleship. It's it's a big part of my life and Hannah's, and um, just been very influential to us. It, we're really excited to see what Mitch and Sonia are able to do with them. If if you want to learn more about what they're doing, I'll hopefully have a link of some kind or an email address uh, close to wherever you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Click the link below, hopefully, uh, where you can reach out to them, hear from them and even be able to give because uh, they're raising support to do that. So what? Uh, they came back to the U.S., but they're still in ministry. And uh, hopefully we'll also have some links maybe to that documentary or, um, or other uh, businesses that are uh, fair trade just so you can even take a look at some of these websites and um, gain some more understanding. What's that? Yeah, that's all I have. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yes, thanks. It's been great. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, always an experiment. We'll have to <laughs> see if we can bleep out those words. <laughs> <laughs>
um, women and families and, and children who are who are now um, getting it a chance that they wouldn't have without um, without that company. So uh, I hope you enjoyed those guys. They're awesome, Mitch and Sonia. Um, I recorded this a long time ago, and they have a baby now. His name is Arben. He's really cool and kind of uh, long and lanky. Um, and they're still working on staff with Campus Ventures. So feel free to contact them uh, and see what you could do to help support their ministry there. Um That really wraps up the the interviews that I have recorded. So I hope you really enjoyed them. I might post a intermission or a song um, here really soon that I think you guys will really like. Uh, and I really hope to post a bunch of links of other podcasts that have kind of inspired me to do this, and um, I think are just really helpful in in helping us see people and see the world in, in a better and more clear way. Um, Thanks for all your support. I, I, I have some ideas of things I really want to do and, and make. Just all your feedback has been really encouraging. So thanks. Thanks for that. Um, that's it.